Let's talk about our last lesson. We're on the last lesson. It's not the last test you'll ever take, but it is the last lesson of this series. And uh, we'll be moving on, as we mentioned, to something else. But we've called this tonight Lesson 10. Guys, if you're spinning the disc back there, go ahead and get it started. And we're going to wrap it up with what we've entitled the Pride Test. And I want to read a couple passages in the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs real quickly. And I, I promise we'll move through this swiftly. Proverbs 13.10, and then we'll jump to 16.18, then 29 and 23. The book of Proverbs 13.10, this is what we read. It says, by pride comes nothing but strife. What he says there is if you're full of pride, your whole life's going to be full of contention and strife. He says, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Now, again, there's lots that the Bible says about pride. I'm just sowing some, some initial nuggets of truth into your inner man here. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Listen to this. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, we're going to end with some insight on that, uh, but uh, you keep that in mind, that, that if you're on the, the road of pride, that eventually uh, you're going to fall. And then Proverbs 29, 23, 29, 23, we read, A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Humility will bring you honor. Pride will always always bring you low. And then finally, so we can say we read out of the New Testament, 1 Timothy 3, verse 6, talking about leadership in this regard. 1 Timothy 3, 6, talking about overseers, it says that they are not a novice or not a beginner, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. You've often heard me say that sometimes if you get something too soon, it can be the worst thing that could ever happen in your life. And uh, I'll mention that again as well. The last test, if you have your notes in front of you, that every person headed to a promise must face and pass is the pride test. Now, let me just say this. Don't say to yourself you don't have any pride because you were born with it. That, that's a part of the carnal nature. Pride is a part of your carnal nature. You can't say that you're not, you don't have pride. Pride is there. And pride manifests in numerous and sundry ways, but you just need to go ahead and admit there's, there's a point of pride in all of us. And, and you know, God has a way of, of either bringing a circumstance or allowing certain circumstances to come our way and being able to touch the very thing that will begin to manifest that. Because it's not as if he doesn't know that it's not in there. The thing is, is that we don't recognize it's in there, and because we don't recognize it, it never comes to the cross. It never, it never is brought to him in, in yieldedness and brokenness and submission. And so what he, what he does is he allows certain circumstances to take place that, that unveils your heart so you can see it yourself. And, and, and hopefully it doesn't have to be too dramatic of an event. You know, some people won't see it unless they're hit by a train. And, you know, God would just as soon use a twig to kind of poke you in the side than a two-by-four and hit you up the side of the head. So understand it is there in all of us. Nobody is exempt. In fact, traditionally and biblically, pride is considered to be one of the deadliest sins, one of the top 
sins. Whenever God begins to use and or bless a person, it is all too easy to drift into a spirit of pride that begins to think of oneself rather highly. In fact, I have found the pride test to be the one test that will come to us over and over and over again all through our Christian journey because it is so easy to fall prey to. Now, let me just share with you a little bit the definition of pride. I I use the terms haughty, arrogant, high-minded, disdainful attitude towards others, superiority of attitude, self-consumed, self-willed, selfish. You know, pride... I I put down here is at times hard to put a word definition to, but we all know when we see it or we hear it. Isn't it true? I mean, pride is like one of those things that it's hard to get your finger on, but you know when you're around it. You know when you're hearing it. You know when you're smelling it. In fact, if you haven't heard it, seen it, smelled it for a while, just turn on the local cable channel and watch some political event, and you'll hear pride, 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 pride. How I did this or we did that or all this has taken place. And so um, it's not hard to see. Christians are not immune from it. Again, the reason we're not immune from it is because we, like everyone else, have been born into it. In fact, the Scripture tells us that Satan was full of pride, even though, think about this, he dwelt in the presence of God himself. I want you to think about that. The presence of God, the very presence of God. I I, I mean, you're in his manifest presence, and yet pride... That's just almost mind-boggling, inconceivable to think that I could stand in God's presence and say what I will read to you here in a few moments, I will arise above you. Is that not the most arrogant, amazing, mind-boggling thing you could ever conceive? That you would be in the very presence of God like he was and yet pride was in your heart. Let me tell you, if, if it can happen that way, do not be so deceived as to think you can't be in church every Sunday. You couldn't be worshiping at the wells. You couldn't be hearing good teaching. You couldn't be playing your Christian tapes. You couldn't be going to connect group and being here on a Wednesday night. You couldn't be enjoying an open heaven over your local church or over your life personally. Don't you think for a moment that you still couldn't be in all those things and pride doesn't still exist in that heart. And so um, we need to just talk about this because God, God wants to deal with that. And the reason he wants to deal with that is because he wants to get you to a destiny. He wants to exalt you. The Bible says that pride goeth before a fall, but the Bible also says that if you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, do you know what the end of that verse is? He will what? Exalt you in due season. So if you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, His promise is this, that he will raise you up and put you in his promise or in his destiny in the season that he means for you to walk in it. And let me just say this. We always think our season is now. But the writer of Ecclesiastes says that he has made everything beautiful in its season. Whenever I read that for the first time and I really began to understand that, I realized there are some things that if I get too quick, it'll be ugly. Because everything's beautiful in its time. So if, you, if you're a little too early or you're a little too late, it can be ugly. But if you're right on time, it can be perfect and it can be beautiful. And God wants to exalt each of you in due season. Let me tell you just a little bit about my personal story. We already mentioned to you that too much success too quickly, and what happens is pride settles in. 
even though you're convinced you have none, and this is all for Jesus. Let me tell you something. I was 18 years old when I was born again, and by the time I was 19, I was preaching the gospel. And doors were being opened to me that were far beyond my experience level. And that I was getting called, I mean, literally, nearly all over the nation. I mean, when you're 19, 20 years old, and you're jumping on airplanes, and you're flying to meetings, and you're preaching in college chapels and assemblies. We're talking 13, 14, 1500 kids. Now you're, we're talking the late seventies, early eighties. That's a big crowd. I mean, I realize it's not like the crowds we'll see today. You know, they're big, bigger crowds even today, but that's, that's a big crowd. And, uh, you know, you'd start listening to everybody tell you just how great you are. Oh, you're great. You're going to be the next Billy Graham. Yeah, I know you're all chuckling because we all know that that ain't true. Nobody's probably going to be the next Billy Graham. Whoever's next is whoever they are. That's who's next. And I know, and you do the same thing when someone does that. You, 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 you do your best, hopefully, to deflect praise and say, oh, I, I appreciate your kindness. You know, it's just I give all the glory to God. <laughs> to God be the glory, great things he has done. But the problem is when you begin to hear it, hear it, hear it, hear it, hear it, hear it, hear it. What happens is, if you aren't careful, you begin to believe it. You begin to believe your own press. And the most dangerous thing that can happen is when you believe what other people start putting into you. Now, just like we have told you on other occasions that you ought not believe what everybody says when they're being critical of you and they're condemning you and they're being negative with you. And we've told you, don't believe that stuff. That's not true. But in the same token, when everybody's blowing smoke at you and running you up the flagpole and you're all that and a bag of chips and the kingdom wouldn't exist without you, the whole thing would fall if it weren't for you. I mean, you start listening to this stuff and then you start believing it. And I know, and listen to me, I know what people do. I know what Christians do. They know what to say. Everyone will say, it's all, it's just God's goodness. It's just God's, God's grace. I give all the glory to Jesus. And we say the right stuff. But the key to all this isn't all the time what you're saying. It's what's going on in here. Because we can say the right stuff, but it doesn't mean it's happening right inside of us. And so there's a snare. You begin to believe your own press. And I put down here that pride, if it's not addressed is like a platform that keeps getting built higher and higher and higher. And you keep going up and up and up until the moment comes when you're high enough that the fall will take you out and nearly kill you when it comes that time. Why do you think the enemy waits until like a guy, and and we're not beating him up, and, and I believe that he is restored and being restored, but a guy like Ted Haggard. I mean, he pastors and he tells his own story about for years, For years, he was challenged by certain things that were going on in his life. For years, he didn't want to share his uh, challenges and shortcomings and sins with other people. He didn't want to go get help. Why is it that all of a sudden, it is when he's the president of the National Association of Evangelicals and his church has 15,000 members. Why is it, why is it at that moment that all of a sudden everything crumbles? Well, it's because the platform is high enough that when he falls, the ripples the greatest effect. Are you following me? See, that's why the enemy will let you uh, uh, go quite a ways before everything's pulled out from under you because he knows that if he lets you go long enough and you're able to go high enough that he can not only affect you, but he can affect maybe tens, thousands, who knows how many underneath you as well. 
Now, as I mentioned, we all knew, uh, we, I, we all know that sometimes we say the right thing, but what's going on inside? I, I, I want to read to you the scripture that deals with Satan himself, because apparently Satan uh, was one of the, the top angels in heaven at one time. Lucifer was his original name. Lucifer meant son of the morning. As best we can put it together, he was probably in charge at, at some level with regards to the worship of God and the, and the praise of God. He certainly had influence because the scripture tells us that when Satan fell, how many angels went with him? A third. That's, that's a lot of angels, isn't it? I mean, you think of myriads and myriads of angels, one third of them. He had a lot of influence. And, and, and so when we painted that picture to you and we began to just sort of underscore to you what in the world could happen to a person that's in the very presence of God and yet, and yet this happens, how, how could it, how could it work that way? Well, in Isaiah 14 verse 12, listen to this. Isaiah 14 verse 12, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said, and I put parentheses around this phrase, you have said in your heart. I'm going to stop there for just a minute. Do you understand that that Lucifer, at whatever time this took place, was worshiping God. He was leading people, leading angelic beings, into God's presence with worship. He may have been declaring and orchestrating. He was the architect, perhaps, of how praise would exist. And so he would lead them in songs, and I can only imagine what the songs would be. Holy, holy are you, O God. There is none like you in all the universe. Great and awesome and mighty is our God. Think of all the things that he would have said in order to demonstrate adoration and love towards God. And yet the scripture says that in his heart, in his heart, he says, I will ascend. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now, Here's an important thing that nobody can monitor, really, except you and God. And and that is there are times you you would be able to say the right thing, but the heart isn't right at all. Now, eventually, I believe that whatever's in the heart is eventually going to come out of the mouth. In fact, in Matthew 12, 34, why don't we all just move over there to the New Testament? It is Wednesday night, and we... Love to read the scripture, Matthew 12, 34. Listen to this, Matthew 12, 34. It said, brood of vipers, he's talking to the Pharisees right now. How can you being evil speak good things for out of the abundance of the heart? What does it say? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Eventually, your mouth will betray what's in your heart. In fact, Jesus says a similar thing in Matthew 15, 18. Matthew 15, 18. When he says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. And, and, and so our words are great indicators of our heart. It's always been interesting to me through the years because 
you know, I've, I've been a pastor since I was 24 years old, you know, been hanging around Christian people for a lot of years. I'm, I'm going to be 51 this year. I've got a few months before I get there. Uh, but been around it a long time, been around people a long time. And, and I'm always amazed how, how, how people will always say, you know, it's not my heart. It's not my intention. It's not my motive. I've said that myself at times. Well, I really didn't intend for it, something to come out that way. I really didn't, didn't think that was inside of there. But one of the things that I have learned through the years that if something pops out of my mouth, it's showing me something that's going on in my heart. Have you ever heard anything pop out of your mouth and you say, where did that come from? <laughs> I'll tell you where it came from. It came from your heart. There's something in your heart. And a lot of times, because we just don't have a good handle on what all's going on inside of there and the depth of depravity even that sometimes exists in us as human beings, what we say to ourselves is we say to ourselves, well, I don't, I don't, I don't see it like that. I, it wasn't my motive. It wasn't my intention. But listen to me. When something comes out of the mouth, Jesus himself says that there's something in there that caused it to come out like that. That's why, that's why bragging or boasting, for instance, are indicators of what's in the heart. If someone's walking and they're always talking about themselves and who they are and what they have done or what they could do and, and, and how good they are at this or how good they are at that or I've done this or I've done that. It just, I tell you, it is hard for me to listen to politicians because the very nature of a political campaign or political office is to stand up in front of people and tell them how great you are. I'm the best. I got this done. I voted this. I, I co-sponsored this legislation. I, I was the one that ramrodded this through. I was the one that thought of this. I was, I was, I was, I was. The whole, the whole place is the seat of Satan. Amen. <laughs> I'm not kidding when I say that either. It's, it's just, there's pride. Derivatives of this. Let me tell you some derivatives are things like self-promotion. Have you ever been around someone always promoting themselves? This is a lot like this in the business world. If you've never seen this, just take a moment and watch The Apprentice with Donald Trump and watch everybody come into the boardroom when it comes time to get fired, and you'll see self-promotion. They'll talk about what they did and how they did it, and you can't lose me, and this team would have fallen apart without me, and no, 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 let me be the project manager. And, and, and it's just a derivative of pride. Another interesting derivative of this is false humility. The Scripture talks about false humility. Does anybody here know what false humility is? False humility is when you sound like you're being humble, but it's really not being humble at all. It, 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 it's actually a, it's a, a sense of pride that's being demonstrated that way. I'm trying to think of a good saying. It's, it escapes me right now about false humility. Or when you want to be the center of attention. Somebody has to be the center of attention. Maybe, maybe that's a derivative as well. I simply use these things to underscore the depth of pride that it, as it exists in all of us. Now, let me talk about the root of it, because the root of it has to deal with our insecurity. We, we, we have a desire. All of us have a desire to be loved, to be known, to be wanted. If it's guys, we want to be promoted. We want to get raises. We want to be affirmed. If ladies, you know, we have, ladies have issues of wanting to be secure, to be tended to. I mean, all of us have these things that are needs in our life, and, and pride is rooted in us because, 
because we, we desire those things. And so we will arise on our own to try to make sure that's happening in our life. And most of it is birthed in what I wrote down here, insecurity. An insecure person will always try to promote themselves to the place they believe they are to be because they lack confidence that God could really get them there. We started this whole set of series with Joseph. And you remember what Joseph's first problem was back in lesson number one? What was his first? Well, you remember what number one lesson was? Yeah, the restrained mouth test. Remember that? What did Joseph do? Come on, talk to me. He ran to his brothers, got to talk to him, and he shot his mouth off, told the dream. Now, why do you think, why, now, immaturity, we know immaturity was a part of why he did that. But can we dig a little deeper and ask ourselves the question, why would anybody have the need to go run to your family and look at them all and just say, I want to tell you guys that God talked to me, and just so you know, one of these days, all of you are going to bow to me. Now, think about that for just a minute. Why would you do that? Why would you have to do that? Now, and, and immaturity is in there. I know he's 17, 18 years old, so he's not real smart yet. Hadn't got a lot of experience under his belt yet. But what's going on inside? He's insecure, right? He wants to be sure that they understand that you're going to be under me. See, it's really important. And he doesn't do it just once, does he? How many times? Does it twice. Why would you have to do it twice? Don't you think they heard it the first time? Well, obviously, you guys aren't, you guys aren't affirming me, bearing witness. I'm sure none of the brothers said, well, our heart bears witness to that, Joseph. I'm sure that's what, you know, obviously that's not what they said. He's the youngest. He just, they're probably blowing him off. But Joseph's problem was, is that at that moment, he lacked the confidence to really, I believe, I think, believe that God could get him to the place of being the youngest and the last one in the pecking order in his household to a place of what God had told him in his heart that he was going to eventually do. And a part of Joseph's journey, I believe, as well as weeding all the other things we talked about out of him, was that God was going to have to flat knock the pride out of him. Now, I put down here how his pride dealt with. Now, this is really important, and I I promise you I'm going to be done here in six minutes. Number one is, you know how your pride is dealt with? Humiliating experiences. I, 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 this is, you, you, can, you can argue with me. I, well, I won't argue with you. I just, I'll just say you do it your way. And, but I honestly, I honestly am convinced that God allows, if he doesn't bring it, I believe he allows it, humiliating experiences to come to us. Because the Bible says that we are to what? Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Isn't that true? I'm not sure we know how to do that. So I think for most people, we struggle with the concept of how do I humble myself? Now, I know if I were to ask anyone in here, have you ever attempted to humble yourself? I'm sure my answer on some of your life experiences would be, yes, pastor, I've tried to do that. And you've tried to do that in a number of ways. Maybe you've, maybe you've, uh, served in some menial way. Maybe you did something you really didn't want to do and, and, and it really wasn't up to your, your uh, uh, qualification levels and you did it anyway. Or maybe you went before the Lord and you were praying before the Lord and said, Lord, I'm humbling myself under your mighty hand and, and I want you to know that, that, that you can work in me and you can deal with me. And let me just share this with you. When you pray, 
I found this to be true. When you pray for God to humble you, he always will answer that prayer swiftly. Bill, why didn't he answer the prosper prayers as fast as the humble prayers? I, I, that's one of those things I'm going to, if I have the guts to ask him when I see him. But, but here's what he does. Listen, when you, when you pray that and seek that, and that's really our heart, because we know the scripture to be true, that if we'll humble ourselves, he will exalt us in due season. So we know the process he will use to get us to the place that we want to be in, which is his promise and his destiny, and that will bring contentment and fulfillment and joy and all the things that we're really looking for. And there's nothing wrong with that. So we know humble, humbling ourselves will get us there. What we didn't realize was is that the minute you say, God, humble me, he begins to loose humbling experiences to come your direction. See, what we think is we think we can get on our knees and pray and that God will sovereignly work out the pride. Isn't that true? We just think, oh, God, I'm open. Just... Oh, thank you for working on my pride. Hallelujah. Yeah, I wish it worked like that. No, it didn't. It's after prayer time when you go out and you go back to work. And you're in that humiliating experience. It is at that moment God is at work. When he begins to work out those, those things that you may not know are, are even there. And you see, once it begins to be revealed, it is at that moment you can go, aha, and then... And then you can begin to reckon yourself dead to that. And so, so that's, why, that's why humbling experiences come our way. I, I mean, I could go down the list of all the different humbling experiences. About the time, of course, my, uh, you know, my calling and my job description is to uh, preach the gospel. I mean, I predominantly teach and preach the gospel, and that's what God's called me to do. That's what my job is, so to speak. And I can tell you, about the time through the years that I think that I've got this thing down and, and, and I can do this thing and, and, you know, you think you're all that. Of course, you know what to say. Praise God to God be the glory. It's all his. It's his anointing, his giftings. I mean, but about the time internally in your heart you think you've got that, the Lord will let you go in front of everybody. No, he won't do it in front of a hundred. He'll wait till you get to a thousand. And that's, and, and, and that's a humiliating experience. That's what he does. He does this to me all the time. I, I, I feel like I've got a good word to share, and I'll share a great word, at least in my opinion, it's a great word. And you know what? The congregation will sit there and they'll go. And they ain't nothing. I mean, that thing went just like this on the pulpit. It goes. Man, that, I mean, that thing was buzzing me. I was in the third heaven, in the, and everybody's looking at you like. And about the time... You say to yourself, oh, Lord, this isn't much. I, I, boy, there were a lot of things going on this week, and I didn't have as much time as I really would have wanted because I was, these other things came my way, and I'm just scratching out some notes, and I'm going to do my best, and I'm not going to expect much out of it. It is that Sunday that every, the hardest person in the camp gets right on that Sunday. And it's like God's way of saying, see, you... you I, I'll go on without you. I don't need you. And every now and then we need to hear that. I mean, that can be a good word, really. It really can be a liberating word if you'll hear that. God doesn't need you. Things won't stop without you. The kingdom will actually go on whether you're there or not. And, and, and while you may think at first, 
Oh, oh my Lord, I can't hardly imagine it. The liberating thing is, 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 is that you can begin to expend yourself in things that are beyond your abilities. Amen. How's pride also dealt with? You've got to find your identity in Jesus. When you can begin to find your identity and your affirmation and your need, when you can find yeah, your security, your promotions, your raises, all the things we're clamoring after, when you can begin to find the fulfillment in all of that with your identity in your relationship in Jesus Christ. You know what? Right now, if, I love, if, if he loves me and I love him, and if I'm being obedient to him and I'm doing everything he's ever asked me to do, and maybe nobody recognizes it or maybe nobody gives me a raise or maybe nobody gives me an attaboy or whatever it is that I'm looking for, whether or not that ever happens, as great as that may be, you know what? If, that, if, if my identity is secure in him, my life's okay. We're okay. Everything about us is absolutely where it should be. And I'll just end with this and we're done. You know, the reason God calls us, I believe, to servanthood. And when I say servanthood, again, I, I just want to remind everybody, don't, don't, don't take your cues off politicians who are running for high political offices and they look at you and say, I just want to serve the people. I'm just here to serve. As they jump into their stretch limo and they've got staff all over the state or the country and they get ushered to the front of the lines and they that's not servanthood servanthood is when you can get down and do something just menial and ordinary and i believe the reason god calls us to do that voluntarily listen to me underline the word voluntarily because you see if you don't serve voluntarily then truth of the matter is then pride isn't being dealt with but he asks us to do these things voluntarily at times to constantly remind us that we're not all that. That he can still use the person who we wouldn't give a snowball's chance in Gehenna to. Remember, it was David who was just tending sheep out in his father's sheep field. I don't know what all you do to tend sheep. I know it probably wasn't very glamorous. But he was the only one out there. And, and all I can tell you is the story. I, I don't want to infer too much. But truth of the matter is, is that his dad didn't call him in. And it doesn't look as if David was, was causing him a headache to get there when the prophet came in to look for a king. He was, he was just doing a menial thing. And, and God was able to pluck a servant out of the field and raise him up into a mighty man that would give direction over a whole nation and kingdom. It does us good. It does us good to be humbled at times. It does us good to do what seems beneath us. It keeps our pride on the altar and out of his way. And he's able to do amazing and amazing things in our life. Amen. I want to pray for you before we go tonight. So why don't you stand and let me pray and then we'll be all said and done. Thank you, Lord. Father, I believe that there is great destiny that's in this house tonight. I believe that there are people who have gathered in the middle of the week wanting to be in the house of God. They love you. They do want to serve you. 
They believe you have a call, a destiny, a promise on their life. And more than anything, they want to fulfill that and see it fulfilled. But Lord, tonight I pray, not only for the test we mentioned tonight, the pride test, but for every single one we mentioned along the way, that Lord, we would be prepared to take whatever test is before us, that we would pass, that we would not be a people who would have to keep doing retakes, that we would not be living the same two years of life over and over and over and over again, but that we would spring out and that we would be uh, people that could be used greatly by you. Lord, we confess your ways are not always easily received in our life. We, we may understand them, but we've said it a thousand times. It's easy to preach, teach, and listen to, but sometimes it's real tough to live. And Lord, I pray right now that you would just empower us. Lord, grace empowers us. So Lord, as your grace is unleashed amongst your people tonight, would you empower us, Lord, to, to pass the test and live large and be a servant and and Lord, ultimately please you. So I pray tonight, Lord, you would work that in us. I thank you for everyone that is in this room. I thank you for the people who are connected to this local church, Lord. I believe you're doing great things in their life. I believe the greatest days are yet ahead. And that the glory of the latter house will indeed be greater than the former. That you will eclipse yourself. And that, Lord, you have, you have an awesome, exceeding, abundant, over-the-top thing that you're wanting to do in people's lives. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, uh, to be people of, of humble hearts. People, Lord, that can be of meek and contrite spirits. Lord, so that when that moment comes and you open up a door and you say, now is the time for you to come through and find your place, that, Lord, everyone around us could truly say the only way that happened is because God worked it out in their life. Lord, that would bring glory to you. Let it be so. Lord, we love you a lot. We appreciate you. Bless your folks as we go our separate ways. I ask in Jesus' name, can you say amen to that? Amen and amen. God bless you. And uh, it's going to be a great Lord's Day this Sunday. And so I look forward to it. You come expecting, and we'll see you later. God bless you. You're released.